It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Well, thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro back here in the front row. We've got J.R. Quitman with us, our creator, producer, and director behind the scenes, as always, as well. Hey, we're double digits here today. This is episode number 10 and a very special episode we have for you today. She's a pioneer. She is a trailblazer. It's Kim Crabb, and she was the first African-American to play on the U.S. women's national team, but she's so much more than that. She's a national champion in women's soccer at George Mason, but she's doing great work, outreach work, in Wilmington, North Carolina with the soccer community and doing some great things with the youth in this community. What a great story she has to tell, and she'll tell it to us today here on Episode 10 of In the Front Row. We appreciate you spending some time with us here today and telling your story and what a, an extraordinary story that you have as well uh, as, as a pioneer in, in athletics, uh, women's sports, women's soccer as well. We're going to dive into to all of that here in just a moment, but we want to start at the very beginning for you. Uh, you're in Wilmington, North Carolina now, but you're a, a Virginia native. And for you, sports growing up, what was it like for you growing up and rest in Virginia and, and having sports be a part of your life? Well, growing up in the rest of Virginia was was awesome because it was a planned community. And for those who don't understand what that is, it's just what it says. It's a planned community. The person who developed, helped develop uh, Reston had a plan and had a vision and pretty much mapped everything out. Um, so wherever you lived in Reston, there was a pool within walking distance. Your school was in walking distance. Shopping center, everything was convenient. So, um, so that was a, that was a great part of, of growing up in Reston, but having sports, um, probably was my drive that, that was, um, that was something that, uh, almost was a lifeline for me. Um, I, I, again, growing up in Reston in a planned community with all kinds of, uh, sporting venues around soccer fields and, um, basketball courts, everything accessible, I was exposed to a lot at an early age. Um, I played a little bit of everything. Um, so once I got to the high school level, um, I was playing basketball, I was running track, I was playing field hockey, and I was playing soccer. But um, at the, at the, I guess I, did, I played at the recreational level for a couple of years, and then the select league came into play for the soccer, um, and that that's what we call our travel league at the time. And once I made that, you know, I got to explore beyond resting. So, um, you know, again, a good a good start to my my uh, sports journey, and and it's still going fifty five years later. Thank God. Yeah. At one point, did you realize that sports was going to be kind of your your way to to have a journey and and to go beyond the you know the the boundaries of rest in Virginia? I think once I again once I made this this travel team, um, you know, going going beyond just your your county limits and now your state limits, where we're now traveling out of state, we would go to Canada, New York. Um, and those were all, that's, that was big time for me because I had never even flown on a plane before we went to Ireland. That was my first trip. So you can imagine, you know, just just going, you know, to Maryland, which was on the outskirts of um, northern Virginia, um, on the outskirts of um, the suburban area that I grew up in. That was huge. But then getting to go to Texas or to go to you know, to New York, just to New York, which was four hours away, you know what I mean, was was awesome. So getting ready to go to Ireland and getting on a plane was was huge. But I think that once I started traveling abroad and getting more exposure, um, I knew I knew that, you know, sports was probably going to be my avenue out, so to speak. Um, and I don't say that figuratively like, oh, I got to get out of resting. But I think it was definitely, you know, a component that that showed me my journey was was more than just, you know, playing locally. And um, and years later, like I said, you know, I was very fortunate enough to uh, make the U.S. Women's National Team, and which will I'm sure speak a little bit more of that, and then play collegiately, you know, at a very elite level. 
And before all that, as you said, you're playing a lot of different sports growing up in Reston. And it was an elementary school teacher when you were nine years old, I think, that said, hey, soccer could be, you know, your avenue, where, where your expertise will take mm -hmm. you. Tell us about that conversation you had. And, and obviously it was an influential moment in, in your life. Well, this this particular icon, I call him, was Mr. Bryant, and he was my phys ed teacher at Herndon Elementary School. And and I, you know, and it didn't have anything to do with ethnicity. He was an African-American coach. I'm sure he saw plenty of athletes come across his path. Um, but he, I don't know. He just really took to me and um, he saw the skills that I had in, in several different sports. I mean, it didn't matter whatever unit we were, he was teaching at the time. I just automatically, you know, was able to catch on, you know, as opposed to the next person was just like, I, I just don't have an in hand and eye coordination to do basketball or softball or whatever. I had that. I had the athleticism. Um, I had the wherewithal to, to, to learn quickly and adapt to whatever sport I was doing, whether it was football or putting a tennis racket in my hands. So I think soccer was, was a new sport um, at the time. And I think with my speed and my, and, and my, you know, my, my will to learn quickly, um, it really, really shined in soccer. And I think it was, you know, at that time it was he that, that really pushed it, you know, it was myself and another friend that I grew up with, um, that was very, very good in, in soccer. And, um, I just remember him, you know, telling my mom, you know, Hey, she's, she's got some skills and you might want to look more further into this. And that was at a rec level, you know, and then again, I quickly just excelled. And you mentioned your mom there. I know she, she was a single parent, uh, raising you in, in Virginia. What were, you know, what did she think about sports and, and how did she kind of handle that? And how did she help you along again when you're taking your, your kids to, to practice and games and everything else. It's, it's not easy for any parent, but a single parent as well had to be hard on her as well. I think, I think that she, um, it wasn't for a little further down the line in, in my, in my sports that she realized just how, how good I was and what it all entailed and being a single mom and working three jobs, it entailed a lot, you know, but my cousin at the time started playing. So my auntie was able to help. And then I had very good coaches that understood, you know, that my mom was not going to be able to get me to all of these practices and, and games and stepped in and helped out a lot. But for the most part, she tried to make as much as she could believe me. And especially as I got older and she really understood, you know, I'm making all district, all regional in, in, in high school at an early, you know, my freshman year and playing all these sports and, and really excelling at it. And I think she really understood, you know, like I don't remember seeing her at a lot of basketball games in high school, but I mean, you play at seven o'clock in the evening, you got a mom who works three jobs, you know, she's not going to be able to make everything, but come the weekend when I had soccer, you know, I, I could expect her to be there, you know, but but I think, you know, in fact, I don't even think I know because I had a sibling. I had two siblings. I had a younger sister that's 11 years younger than myself. And then my brother, who was a very good athlete as well. So he wants to play football and then you're doing this. So you can't be in two places at one time. So I think, you know, I think she kind of relied on some of the coaches to step up and help. And they did. You know, they did. They saw that we were, were good athletes and it was worth, worth the investment. And I think that that. Um, that kind of that instilled in me to do what I'm doing now with outreach here in the community. Yeah, it kind of comes full circle as again. Exactly. I'm Mr. Bryant in a way, you know, or Mr. Kitchen. Everybody knows from growing up in Reston, Virginia, who made sure like the Dennis Scotts and all the basketball players that came out of our area. He made sure that they they were on a path, you know, to to success. Well, it's great that, uh, again, as, as a kid then, an adult now, that that, that stuff was instilled in you and, and, and carries through now. Absolutely. Well, as you said, you, you were outstanding in high school and, and, and starting to perform well on the soccer level. When were you starting to get recruited uh, on the college level? Because, uh, again, I guess, you know, women's sports were still kind of in its infancies a, a little Absolutely. bit in, in, in college athletics at the time. 
Yeah, Title Nine was was still kicking, you know, or just getting going really good. But I, I think you know, by the time I was in my junior year, I was sophomore. By the time I was in sophomore junior year, I was really starting to be on the map. You know what I mean? Nationwide at soccer, um, playing at at the most elite levels. Um, basketball. I was a very good basketball player. Track. Track and field hockey were in bas in soccer were probably my three most prevalent sports, but um, but I could do any of them. And I was starting, you know, it was new to me to start receiving, you know, whether they were small division two, three, college, whatever, you know what I mean, to even start to get that kind of exposure, you know what I mean. But you had counselors at school that advised you, and you know, and I'm concentrating on trying to you know, balance everything. Grades, I wasn't I wasn't the best in school, but I did my job. I did my job. I put my best foot forward. I wasn't a scholar, you know, by all means. I was definitely an athlete, <laughs> you know. Um, and you can be both these days, young boys and girls. But, um, but, you know, I just, I think by my sophomore, junior year, I knew that, that I could take this to another level in whatever sport that I so chose. Um, at the time, field hockey was huge. I mean, I was, that was a new sport to me. And I, and it was like soccer with a stick. So I picked it up like immediately. And um, we were state champs my senior year. Junior, was a junior, 83. By my junior year, yeah, we were, we were state champs. You know, we were, we were uh, beating teams from um, down in the tidewater you know, Piedmont area that, that were reigning champs in field hockey that have never lost, you know, one state year after year after year. So I started getting a lot of exposure then, and it was a little overwhelming because it was something new to me. And, and again, I, I was very blessed to have uh, a good counseling staff and a nice principal that, that cared. And um, I was in South Lakes high school was a very good school to grow up in and, 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 say that I'm a South, a, a Seahawk for life, you know what I mean? Um, and they helped me. They're a big part of my journey, you know, a success in my journey thus far. Yeah. And, and moving on from there, obviously you've got to find a good fit. You know, you see that so much now in college athletics, all the transfers that, are, that, that happen because they just don't find that fit, but you found your fit at George Mason and this was uh, for soccer and it was kind of a, a new program. Why, why was George Mason in, in your mind, the place for you to be? I, like you said, it was a new program, number one, and probably most important, it was close to home. You know, you, you got a single parent, you see, and now you understand more as you're getting older of everything they're putting forth for you to have a, a good outcome and a good future. And I just, I think it was just important to me to kind of stay close to home and in case mom needed something and my family was from Northern Virginia and it, and it, when I say it was the perfect fit, it was, I mean, I had family two minutes away from the college on school street. My family's church was five minutes, you know, three minutes away. I mean, the school was new. It was growing. Um, I was a part of a, a brand new program, you know, that we helped put on the map. I mean, winning the first ever national championship, you know, for the school was huge. And um, and again, it, it just couldn't have been a more perfect fit. The coach, the coach was perfect. That was that was important as well. Um, and it just worked. It just worked. And I, and I, I would never doubt the decision. You know, people said, oh, well, you know, UNC was rain. You know, they were this. They were that, uh, you know, that. It didn't phase me. I was looking for a program that worked for me, um, that had the funding to help me because, again, mom be working three jobs, single parenting. We already know there's no extra finances, you know, towards a, a collegiate, you know, uh, future. So, so yeah, it was. I, I couldn't couldn't have picked a more uh, a better program and a better coach and. Uh, Again, though I'm a Seahawk for life, I'm a Patriot for life as well. Well, well, you should be because, uh, as you said, you led them to the national championship, part of that team in 1985. It was the only time North Carolina didn't win the national championship in the 1980s. 
So again, as you said, there, there was North Carolina down the road. Uh, the Tar Heels for women's soccer obviously dominant, but uh, but you guys won the national championship. How'd you do it in, in such a short amount of time? Uh, what do you remember about that run to the national national championship? It was just the fourth national championship ever in in history. That correct. I had been going to UNC to see the national championships through the years, you know. But um, I think you know what I remember the most is that. You know, when you when you when you join a team, even now for the young kids that are growing up that are playing Pop Warner football or playing AAU basketball or whatever, you you start bonding and you start forming a so to speak another family. And I think the sisterhood and the togetherness and the unity that that we had at that time was was priceless. Um we had tied UNC in a very big tournament either the year before, or it may have been the same year. So we were all, we all, we, we were just like a steamroller, just, just moving. And we were moving in, in motion together. And I think that that's important. You know, there's so many, let's just put it like this. There's no I in team and we didn't have any eyes. We were all a team and we were destined, we were destined for, for, for the outcome that we had, you know what I mean? We, there was just, and we didn't do it in a, in a, in a, in a bad way, you know, saying anybody that got in our way, we squashed, you know, we worked together and we figured out a way to, to beat the Yukons or the UMasses and the William and Marys and, and all these girls I grew up with, you know, playing. And um, so, yes, I knew how they played, but how did they play with their unit? You know what I mean? As opposed to us with our unit. And we, and we just, it just worked. We had a great leader. Our coach was, our coaching staff was awesome. And we were just, there was no, we, there was no way that we could be beat that day at that moment. We were, we were just already here and, you know, and there, everybody else had to catch up, including UNC that day, because we were, I mean, we shut them out. That was history alone, you know, but, um, um, one of those memories that you'll never forget. You know, it's kind of surreal. Even years later, it's hard to put into words. Um, I, I talk to kids all the time and they're like, well, how, you know, and it's like, it's, it's almost hard to put it into words. I mean, it's never going to be the same words every single time, but, but I know that we, we were a family. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible when you look at that, how, again, how dominant North Carolina was at that time and you guys come in, but, you know, and it, for that tournament, it started with uh, a win over William Mary, and, and you won in, in penalty kicks. Penalty kicks. <laughs> I, I mean, that's you know nerve wracking for, for any coach, for any player as well. But to have that be how it started, what was that moment like? You know, to well, you know you had to win that in that fashion. That's right. Um, we were called the No Goal Patrol. Our defense. I played defense, and we were like, we were. You know, again, I'm not trying to be malicious in the in the in the realm of sports, but um, you know, we, we we had to do whatever it took to win, and and you hate for anybody to lose in penalty kicks, and those were all my friends, the Jill Ellis's and the Julie Cunningham at the time, who shacked for now. You know, these were all our friends that we grew up with, and we we know how heartbreaking it is to lose in penalty kicks. Even if I watch at the premier level now and the MLS, any levels now, and it's just like, oh my gosh, been there, done that, horrible way to lose. But somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose at the end of the day, you know? And um, I just remember the adrenaline, you know what I mean? Because I think back then, you know, you just tried to put so much power into kicking your, making your penalty kicks instead of just simply using finesse and placing the ball, which you see now, you know, you look and you see these guys do whatever little run and they just go bloop, you know, and that's all it takes because the goalkeeper has to choose a direction that they're going. And I just, I just remember feeling so bad for my friends, you know, but at the same time, you know, again, somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose. And, and, and I, and I, incorporate that into my coaching now it's almost like i have to teach my team to lose as well because you learn from your wins and you learn from your losses you know um 
and I don't, you know, like they'll ask me if I'm referee in a game now, coach, what's the score? I don't even keep score. I'm looking to see if you're improving, if you're using your left foot. I, I don't even, I'm like, I don't even care about score, you know, but again, um, back to that, you know, teaching them to win and lose. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow, but um, I always look at, Again, you learn you what you learn from that. You know what I mean. And are you eager for the the next practice or the next experience? So now you've learned from that. You know what I mean. That you can now implement some of the things that you've learned. You know. So at the end of the day, everybody's a winner. You know, everybody's a winner. So, were you getting those messages as an athlete back then? Obviously, you know, you're passing those messages along now as a as a coach. But probably not. To be the- <laughs> Not even at the elite level you were playing at? I, You know, again, it's something that you learn and it comes with experience and it's part of our story and it's part of our journey. Um, but I'm going to be honest, probably it took me a while. You know what I mean? Like like I tell people now, I said, I'm 55, you know, and I tell my kids all the time, I'm still learning to communicate because, you know, I'm trying to teach them to communicate. And I'm like, it's just not something you grasp overnight. You know what I mean? It's a learning experience. So I think as I, as I got older and I continued with the game, um, and with sports and now I'm learning, learning the coaching side and all the aspects that come with it, um, and implement some of my experiences along with it, put my little flav in there. I could say, you know, that back then, I probably didn't get it, but I get it now. And now I'm, I'm kind of playing it forward, you know, so to speak. So, but yeah, probably back then, no, I was probably like kind of cut through. Like, yeah, no, no, I don't understand it. You know, uh, we should have won this game. We, you know, but now let's figure out how we can win against them again, because we're going to, we're going to face the same team again. They're going to be a dynasty again. How, you know, let's figure it out. And and we're, we've got two seniors or no seniors. So we're going to be the same unit if we're still here at this college or, or if we're still with this team. Because most travel teams, you know, you pretty much have some of the same players. You, you grow up now in some of the soccer leagues. You're playing with some of your teammates since you were three years old because they let them play that early now. You know, so you're like, man, I've been playing with the Hammerheads. I've been playing with this kid. And now we're... We're at New Hanover High School winning the national, you know, the state championship. We've been playing together, you know, but you start learning your ways and you start grooving and 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 the and the chemistry's good and and it just it's a, a you know a recipe for winning and for success. Well, again, for you, it was that in 1985 with George Mason, as we said, you, you won a penalty kicks that first round, then you you shut out what UMass three nothing. And then set up the national championship game against North Carolina, which you hosted. So now it's a, a neutral side event, but you hosted. Was was that a big advantage of that time? What was, you know, was was there a lot of fanfare, a lot of crowd around at that time in 1985? Well, we, we were like a sold out crowd. I mean, we didn't have bleachers on the other side. You know, we we sat on the same side as the bleachers. Now they try to put the opponents on the other side to avoid, you know, havoc, so to speak. But we were we were packed out. Um, they had sprayed UNC on our field the night before. So that wasn't very nice. Um, and I played with some of those teammates later through the years and it kind of slipped out. And I was like, aha, some of the alumni sprayed UNC. So here we are on ESPN for the first time with this big, huge dark green, because you couldn't get the same color paint as the grass, you know, (laughs) we got to get rid of the UNC because we're going to be on ESPN the next day, you know? So we got this big rectangle in the middle of the field where we had to spray over UNC. Um, So that made us a little upset, but, but we were on a mission. Seriously though, we knew, yes, we knew we had home field advantage, but it, it probably wouldn't have mattered at that time where we played because we were just, we were just so in unison and we were so ready I just remember, like, I, when I played, I didn't, it didn't matter to me who I played. So I have that same kind of flow in my coaching. Like, I don't care what the score is. That's how I was. It didn't matter. People are like, do you know that you just shut out April Heinrichs or, you know, you, 
you shut out Mia Hamm when you were covering her. She didn't score. It didn't matter. And some of these people, I didn't even know. I didn't even know their history. If they stepped up in front of me, it was my job. I had a job to do and I did it. So that's how I looked at it. So I, I, it wasn't until we, we scored our second goal that it kind of set in like, oh my gosh, we only have this. All we need to do is just knock the ball around. You know what I mean? Like, like, are you serious? Like we just scored another goal. We like, are we shutting UNC out? You know, but I just really, when, when we stepped out on the field, we were so, we were so ready. We had a great fan club because we were local. A lot of us were local players. So, you know, people were able to attend. So, you know, we were packed out. I think we put the oops on the back of a lot of UNC shirts. They had t-shirts made. So I'm told from some of my, my, um, my, my friends that, that played that year, they were like, yeah, I think one of them may have even gave me the t-shirts. He was like, here, you can have it. They had to put oops on the back because they had already had the t-shirts made. <laughs> so um, thinking they were going to win the game, but um, it just goes to show on any given Sunday, the movie, you know, it's anybody's, you step out on the field, you got to come or, or whatever arena you're in, you get, you need to come to play, you, you know, if you're serious about the outcome, you know, if you're not, then you probably deserve to be on the bench and watching and learning. As I tell my kids, I don't want them on the bench playing around. I want you to be watching the game because if I put you in at any position, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting you to do your job. You know what I mean? Um, now we cross train a lot of players. So even though I played as a defender in college, I played forward all my life. I was a scoring machine. You know what I mean? I had speed. I played forward, but it turned me into a very good defender. I was recruited as a defender and I was like defense, but it, it made sense. Now it makes sense. You know, I mean, I knew how to cover, forwards because I played forward. So I, I had the kind of mindset that they did and I was very quick so I could adapt to different situations. And if I got beat, I could run them down and, and, you know, so, um, but yeah, I think on, on that particular day playing at home, we, we were, we were, we were set up for success, you know what I mean? And, um, again, another, another notch in the belt or another memory that, that you know you just you just will never forget never forget and you started the year against them at North Carolina you tied them 3-3 so was that a plus going into this national championship that you guys had had, had faced them already and had some success with them absolutely absolutely and we had played them the wags tournament as well might have been the year before and and I already knew we were, I think everybody knew this new program is we're going to be contenders. Um, so I think, yeah, at the beginning of that season, tying them kind of knocked at the door one more time. And they knew, you know what I mean? Through the season, you know, I think we had our ups and downs. I don't know what our, what our record was during the season, but there again, like I said, on any given day, when you step out there, you know, it's anybody's game when you come to play. And I think, um, in fact, and I don't. I don't want to say. I think. I think. I. I. I know that Anson knew. You know what we, what we possibly could do. You know what I mean. But you know. You, you know. Again, as a coach, he has to prepare his squad, and um, and we were ready. We were ready. I mean, we showed it all the way through the, the tournament. You know, at any opponent. Because let me tell you, UMass and and William and Mary, neither one of those programs were were any push aside programs, you know what I mean? They were very well coached. I think Kenny Bonda might've been coaching at the time and, and um, you know, and, and just for UMass and then and, and both squads, like I said, and John Daly is, come on. I mean, for, for uh, William and Mary, an icon, both of them coach, coach wise. So I know that both squads were coached well and, and had very good players. Again, I just think we were, we were just so ready and comfortably ready. And then being at, at playing at home in front of a crowd that, you know, I mean, I have people still come to me and say, I was at that game. I'll never forget it. You know what I mean? And there you go. There you have it years later, you know? Yeah. That's, that's amazing to have that support back in, you know, again, the mid 1980s 
women's mm-hmm. soccer national championship. And, and you mentioned Anson Dorrance, you know, obviously legendary head coach for the, the Tar Heels there. And he was then the, the national team coach. And, and he obviously recognized you and, and, you know, from playing against you. And, and how did that work? You got an invite to, to, um, you know, a pool play with, with some other athletes. How did that work to, to have you on that U S national team? Correct. Uh, I think back then they, um, there was a pool of players that were called up to St. Paul, Minneapolis. And that's where you would see players. I mean, it was just like a combine, you know, people come, people go, you know, so, excuse me. Um, it, it kind of, you, you, you could see players there and you could see players go and it just kind of wound down to a pool of 20 something at the time. And then we had a, exhibition couple of games against Canada at the time. And then I, I, that's when I really knew that, you know, women's soccer is getting ready to do something, but there again, women's sport got to go through, you got to go through the whole chain, you know, of possibly gonna, gonna succeed, possibly not finding, you know, all of the, political stuff that goes along with it and financial and all of that, that needed to be worked out through the years. But I, I really knew then that we were going to, to do something. But um, at the time, I think, you know, I remember him calling us in one by one to let us know whether we made the team or not. And, you know, a lot of people were nervous, biting their nails. I don't ever remember being so nervous that I wasn't going to make the team. I was happy to be able to be able to have an experience of such, uh, have an opportunity. Um, And that's how I looked at it, no matter what the outcome was, whether I was going to make the team or not. Um, I was probably one of the fastest players in the game at the time. Um, And I, now that I look back as a coach, it would probably be a bad move to, to not have at least that speed when you're facing some of these teams in these different countries that you don't, you don't know what they're bringing, but you know that you've got some defenders that are, that are quick. And, and, and I was a cross trained player. I could play a forward if need be, you know what I mean? Um, So I I wasn't sure that I was going to make the team, but there again, I, I was just blessed to have the opportunity and that's how I looked at it. And, and I made the team, you know, so there again, you know, being part of history for George Mason, now the U.S. Women's National Team, and I didn't even really even look at it as if I'm the only African-American on the team, you know what I mean, at the time. I didn't look at it like that. It's just been years and years later that it's been brought up. You know what somebody said to me, you know, you you realize you're the first African, and I was like, I had to call. Anson and Dino back at UNC to see if there were any more before me. They're like, no, Crabby, you know, you, because I wanted it to be confirmed, you know, was there anybody before me, you know, that made the, and I was, I was the first, you know, Sandy Gordon um, um, was called up and I think she was the first to play. I was the first to make the national team. So we have to always get that straight and that, um, Brianna Scurry was the first to be inducted, you know, so because people are like, no, I thought Bri- Brianna Scurry was, and I was like, I'm older than Brianna Scurry, I would probably be the first though, but um, you know, I think being a part of history is is probably the the best accolade that I could have, you know, I just got, I got a big award, um, I I, I can't say I don't know how I keep getting these awards, but I'm putting in the work. So I know, I understand more of why I'm being recognized for that. But, you know, when you when you sit back and you really look at the whole big picture and how it all unfolded, and there can't be a bigger accolade than, than knowing that you, you, you're in history as being the first, you know, not the last, not the middle, the first, you know, so... It all, it all, it all came from 
from this game. And that's why it's so important to me to continue to give back to it. And I told, I, I just spoke at an event and I said, I'll probably give back until the day I take my last breath. You know what I mean? I just, and there's, there's different ways of giving back and, and yes, I'm coaching. Um, but there's, there's different ways to give back to the sport. And I, and I, and I tell people as well that give back to the community, you know, you know, you don't have to come out. No, I don't know soccer. You don't have to come out and volunteer for soccer, but people don't understand just picking up trash in your community is giving back. So for a sport that has done so much to me, it just only seems fair and, and, and right to give back. So well, and that's pretty amazing, as you mentioned, it, that you had to look back years later to see that you were the first. So do you give credit to, to Anson Dorrance, his staff, and even that team to, hey, your experience was the same as everybody else's experience. You weren't looked at any differently than anybody else on that roster. I do. Um, but, you know, I, I also go back past the Ansons and all of that, and the, the you know, Kip Germains, the Dick Whites, the Doug Fox, my very first coach. I mean, I can the, the list could go on, but these are coaches that that really instilled a lot in my game. And and that in return has made me who I am, you know. So um, you know, yes, Anson, Anson Dorrance being my national team coach. Um Hank Long was the assistant coach at the time. You know what I mean? We had just beat them in the national championship. So, yes, you know, naturally he was going to have some players coming on the national team, you know, with him, you know, but but we all earned our right, you know, to be there. And, you know, and, and the, 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 the piece about my, my soccer history and being the first um, – that's a whole nother story. You know what I mean? I mean, I went through some, some times where I felt like, you know, this group or this organization or this U S soccer, or this should have recognized me before now, you know what I mean? Because it's just been in the past, you know, maybe six, seven years that I'm starting to get the recognition. Um, that I deserve, you know, and I, and I can say that confidently now. I mean, before I was just kind of like, eh, you know, but I mean, there's a lot that possibly could have been had I been recognized back then, you know, Wheaties, Wheaties box, you know, uh, commercials, who knows, you know, there's, there's no, there's no telling, but I can't live in the past. That's the past. You know what I mean? Things that are a part of my journey now that that have helped me with the present and, and what I'm doing. I know that I'm in the right position in my life um, by being a director within a community and giving back to kids that are underserved and, and that 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 just deserve the opportunities that I have and any other players behind me no matter what their ethnicity is, you know what I mean? We, I just think that there are so many kids in, in the United States alone um, that just deserve that. And I can't go beyond the realm as a lot of coaches do. They're in Africa, they're in some of the Caribbean, you know, islands and this and that. I'm trying to work right here first because there's a lot of work here that we need to do so that these kids can sit in front of, a mic like this and tell their story, you know, and, and be able to tell it confidently and um, with some passion like I have. Well, let's, let's talk about that again. You're doing great work in Wilmington, North Carolina with the, the Hammerheads organization, the outreach there. What brought you to Wilmington uh, once your, your, your playing days were over? Why why this area for you and and, and how soon did you find that there was a need you know, for the outreach and, and, and for programs that you do and for, for the kids that you're, you know, reaching out to and, and affecting in this community? Well, um, I, I lived in Chapel Hill for many years and I went there because they spoke of starting women's professional soccer. And I figured if they were going to start it somewhere, it was going to be near Anson Dorrance. 
And I was of age where, you know, I was like, I've done the Northern Virginia thing. Let me, you know, I've gotten to travel around the world. I'm getting a little more, you know, fancy to the point where I can step away. You know, before I wanted to be close to moms, but now I'm driving. I can come back. Let me get a little taste of going over here. I came down for the drinking age change. I came down for Halloween. Hey, I like this little little town. So Chapel Hill was where I, what really brought me, you know, where I originally came to in, in North Carolina. And I came for soccer. So I, so I played with the Greensboro Dynamo, which would be considered one of the first professional teams in, in, in North Carolina. And it kind of went up and down, you know. New new women's sport, soccer, uh, professional, uh, eh, don't have the finances, eh, then we bring it back. And so at that point, you know, I had a daughter. I was a single parent. Um, can't take her on all the trips with me, you know, with soccer and and didn't have family down in Wilmington, I mean, in uh, Chapel Hill. So I would have to take my daughter back to Northern Virginia if I was traveling with soccer and yuba daba daba But... <laughs> But, but Chapel Hill grew on me. So that, that became my home. Um, my daughter was born there, and that's where I resided for, for many years. And it wasn't until she graduated from high school that I decided I was going to, again, be a little spontaneous and, uh, and said, hey, I love the beach. You know what I mean? I'm going to move down near the beach. So I had been coaching and teaching in Durham, North Carolina. And um, I implemented like a little recess, organized recess soccer. And because I saw so many kids at recess, you know, that weren't included in the football game or, you know, kids have their little cliques of friends. And, and I was like, it's just got to be a way to bring some more unity. Oh, well, let me start soccer back here on the backfield. Well, of course, that you know, gravitate a lot of kids that way, even some of the ones that weren't included and everything else, because I said, it doesn't matter. Oh, and I've never played. It doesn't matter. Come on. So teaching at the recess level, coaching at the middle school level. And um, I don't know, it was just something that I saw there with that that recess organized soccer that I that gave me an idea and gave me a vision. And um, once I left teaching at this school, and my daughter graduated and she went to Pembroke. I, I moved down to the beach. It was a little closer to Pembroke and yeah, let's try it. So when I came in, um, someone had already told me about the Wilmington Hammerheads, which would, then was the Cape Fear Soccer Association. And I just went in with a handwritten <laughs> resume. I remember giving it to the director and um, they were looking for an outreach director at the time. It was something they had implemented into the community, but then no one kind of kept it going. So the city was kind of, eh, you guys tried it, and then you kind of left us hanging. I'm not sure, but at this time they could now present. Well, we've got the correct, we got the right person. So I got to meet up with the city officials and and um, and our and our club directors and presidents, and we all went in and kind of so to speak, kind of sold them on, on what I was going to bring. And I, and I said in the middle of this big old conference table and everybody kind of, you know, well, you guys tried it, didn't work. We don't want to get the kids all riled up. And then you not stick to your word. And I just was like, well, I can guarantee my work. You know, not a lot of people can say they can guarantee their work. So I uh, guaranteed them I'd be the face of the community and God willing, it, it, you know, it happened and and I've been pretty consistent as I'm now at one of the community centers that I started with at the Martin Luther King Center here in Wilmington and um, I'm with the community boys and girls clubs which everybody nationwide knows you know kids you know that are not not just underserved kids but you know that they cater to communities that that you know that um, that need you know, some of that, some of that help and, um, and need a safe place for kids to go. So I'm with the community boys and girls club. I'm with the Martin Luther King center, which is here in town. And then the maids park of another community center. And they're strategically placed, you know, in areas that, that cater to the kids that we want to reach. And, um, and then I decided to start going into the schools and saying, Hey, 
I'm reaching these kids at the community level after school. Why don't we look into possibly doing some recess, organized recess? I'll come in. It's not mandatory. Or I can come in and help PE teachers, phys ed teachers with their soccer unit. So so it, it, it established a really nice relationship with the county as well as the city. And that's what you want when you are in the community. Um, and, um, and I think, you know, they see my passion. Um, the kids see my passion as well and the families within the communities and I'm accepted and soccer is just my vehicle. It goes way beyond the pitch. And, um, and I now just started a, a nonprofit outreach of Cape Fear aside from the, the Wilmington Hammerheads, which I'm still representing. And, and, um, you know, and these are all great opportunities for me as well as the kids in the community. And that's the most important, um, that's the most important component right now. Again, we talked, yeah, how much do you look back, you know, at, at your life, like you said, your single mom and, and all these people that were such a big factor in your life and helping you get to where you want to be. How much do you think about that in, in your current role and, and, and how much of that maybe sustains you, keeps you going because you know, like yourself, there's, there's a need for somebody like you in this community and a lot of communities probably across the country as well. Yeah. Well, again, you know, we can go way back to the, to the Mr. Bryant's, you know, I mean, every, every the, Mr. White, my, one of my favorite soccer coaches, Hank Long, you know, all of these are, 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 are pieces to the puzzle. You know, you've got your out, your outside of the puzzle, your foundation, and now all of the pieces to the puzzle that you're filling in in between are all of these coaches and all of these these role models and these mentors that have been very important along my journey. Um, so I, that's that's probably the most important. I, I could not do it without all of them. And some of them are still very prevalent in my life and 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 lift me when I'm down. You know what I mean? I still call Mr. White, who's. 90 plus years old, still coaching, coaching like state championship teams in Tennessee. You know what I mean? And, um, and I just, I, I just am blessed that I've had, you know, these people in my life, um, that have been willing to offer and share a little bit of them with me. So it's only it's only right to kind of pay it forward and play it forward to, to do the same thing with the kids and in, in this community. And and it's very important to me because we we're losing a lot of kids. And that um that's very disturbing to me. And and I, I lose sleep sometimes trying to figure out, you know, what else can I do? You know, but it but it but it takes a community, it takes a village, you know to, to raise kids. And I've always believed that, you know, cause I come from a big family and my mom being a single mom, you know, a lot of family members, grandmas, and, you know, we all know drop you off at grandma's and you might be there with some more of your cousins and all of that. But, you know, it takes, it takes a village to do that. And, um, and I think that my village growing up and, and all of these people and, and coaches and, and that I, and they're all friends, you know, they're all family, friend, friend, family, friends that that will forever, you know, play key roles in, in my success. And, and I just want to do the same with kids in the community. And I think, you know, it, it really is important that that people understand um, how much how much it, how important it is to give back you know and there's like i said different means and ways of giving back some people strictly want to do it monetarily that's great i can't do that but but i know that what i am doing is priceless you can't put a price tag on it so um with that being said you know i i know that i'm in the right place in my life and um and i'll i would love to continue doing this and possibly you know maybe one of the kids within my program I could pass the baton on to the, to keep this going because I think that they do understand. I have some of my kids that have graduated high school and they still come back and help because I think that they understand. They understand it better now, you know, 
um, that it's important to be a role model and come out. I mean, the younger kids love when they come out. And I said to them when they started, I said, you can come whenever you like, but just know that if you are consistently coming, how much, you know, impact you're making. And then I just let them sleep on it and dwell on that a little bit. And, and they, they hit me up Saturday, coach, I'll be there. I'll be there, you know, and it's the being there that makes the difference. It's the being there that all those coaches and all those role models and mentors that I speak of did and were for me. Yeah. I'm sure they all look at you and smile and are very proud of you and what you become. And, you know, on the flip side, you know, you're, you're, you're coach Kim to these kids that, that you're coaching now and, and, how proud are you when you see them succeed? And maybe not necessarily, you know, with soccer, but but beyond soccer and life. And as you said, coming back and, and giving back like you are right now, when you see those kids and they call you Coach Kim, how much pride is that instilled in you? There's just not a bigger reward than that. You know what I mean? It's um, I, I went to New Hanover's games, which very rarely that I get to make a lot because I'm always doing something, you know, but I try to – during a little downtime, whether it's just to go visit somebody at home or just so happens that the boys kept, continued to, to win and games were, they had home field advantage at Legion Stadium. So I was there. And then I went to the championship, the state championship, and I rode home with the goalkeeper. That was my kid that came through outreach. Like I, the day that I met this kid, I knew he was a champ. You know what I mean? So, you know, and he just kept crying and saying, coach, it's because of you. And I said, but you did the work. You did the work, you know. And I was just, as I said, about all my mentors, and I kind of get teary-eyed when I, when, I, when I talk about it because it's, it's just something that's very hard to put into words. But it is very rewarding that, you know, I am known throughout Wilmington as Coach Kemp. And um, in the soccer world, my name, of course, is Kim Crab, and and my name, my last name, got jacked up all the time. I was Crabby. I was Crab Tree. Where Crab Tree came from, I don't know. There's no tree on there, but the silent e at the end, I could get Crabby, and that was my nickname in the soccer world. In fact, right now, if you called, if I called Jill Ellis, she would answer, and she go, "What's up, Crabby?" You know what I mean? That's the Julie over at William and Mary Crabby. Everybody knows me as Crabby, but um, in Wilmington, I will probably forever be known as Coach Kim. I am sitting in a center right now where Coach Murphy was very well known, and and the people, you know, compare me to him all the time. And I never got to meet Coach Murphy, but I feel like I know Coach Murphy, and I'm in the center where it all happened, where he took kids on a bus to soften, you know, had a baseball team formed and, and took them places, took them out of the community and took them places that they never been, you know, and they were like, man, she's straight up a coach Murphy all over and his pictures out front. And, and I look at him all the time as if I know him, you know what I mean? And, um, and that's, that's a great honor. Yeah. I mean, that's really better than, Awards. You, it is. You just got an award. You've gotten one also in 2016 inducted into the Virginia DC Soccer Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, those awards must be nice as well. What does it mean to be recognized? You know, finally, like you said, it's taken some time for you to be recognized, but but to to have that side, uh, you know, the soccer world recognize you as well for for your accomplishments and for for being the pioneer and the trailblazer that you are. It just it just confirms that you're doing the right thing. Um, you know, this, this next award that I'm going to go and, 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 um, and receive is the youth, uh, coach of the year. And, you know, and I, that one really, that means a lot to me. Um, because I, I've been chosen amongst all kinds of coaches throughout the United States and I'm at a grassroots level. I'm at the, you know, at the beginning stage level and I'm being recognized uh, as a coach of the year. Huge, absolutely huge. Um, being being inducted in the Virginia Soccer Hall of Fame was also awesome. But that's where my that's where my roots started. You know what I mean? It was it it just seemed only right. You know to be to be honored for uh, the path that I have laid for so many 
other females in the game and, and just soccer players, period. Um, so that was, that was huge and being able to have all of my family members attend because a lot of times everybody can't go to some of these different states where I'm getting awards. So I'm, I'm there with the black coaches and uh, so, she, you know, cause we've got the United black coaches we've got, and you're, you're at a soccer convention, you're amongst everybody. Pele was there one year, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're amongst some of the, the best of the best. So it's not like you're alone because all of my, my, my soccer mates are there, but you know, it, it certainly would be nice to look out into the crowd and see one of your family members, you know, to be there. Um, but, you know, I bring these, these, these uh, trophies uh, or, or awards home and I've got a special, I got a special shelf for them. You know, we, we grew up in, and I'm sure you've got boxes of trophies or remembered all your medals and trophies and, it's great. In fact, in fact, I pick all the plates off of them now and I recycle the trophies to my kids because it's a new trophy to them because it gets a new plate on it and says their name. And that's how I recycle trophies. We we push them on that way. But these these kind of honorable awards are very, very special and and not everybody gets them, you know, so um, you look at those and and, and you say, you're really doing something right. You're doing it right. You're doing something right. And and it's not always easy. So those out that are out there listening, please know that it isn't always easy that, you know, there's going to be some detours. There's going to be some bumps in the road along this journey. But if you're passionate and, you, and your drive is such and, and, you know, your characteristics and your qualities are, are of a being that is, just so strong and so driven, there's, there's just no way that you can fail whether you get an award or not. You know, your award is every day being blessed to, to be above ground and get up and to be able to do what you, what you do. And I, and I, my goal every day is to impact one person, one kid, and I get to do it in such magnitude and what I do and I love it. And I, again, to know that you're in the right place is a good feeling doing the right thing. And to be someone who's impactful kind of from your playing days and, and now your coaching days, maybe I would say more impactful now, even though you were a pioneer in your, your playing days, uh, people watching this, if, if they want to help out, if they want to get involved, whether they're in Wilmington, whether they're wherever watching this and they want to help you, they want to help, or even in their own communities, you know, grow soccer, grow youth sports to help out the, these underserved, underprivileged privileged communities, how, how can they help out? How can they get in touch with you? Well, I can be reached at the outreach of Cape Fear. We're on Facebook. Um, you know, I always give my telephone number out because I'm one of those types that are on the move all the time. People go, why do you give your telephone number out? And I says, because sometimes, you know, that's an easier avenue for people to reach it. So I'm at 910-231-0449. And I, always try to get back to folks if I miss a phone call. So if phone calls easier, um, the Wilmington Hammerheads, we, we have our, our website there. I'm still working on the outreach of Cape Fears, but so you've got the outreach of Cape Fear and you've got the Wilmington Hammerheads outreach program. So you can look up Wilmington Hammerheads Youth FC. You got my telephone number now. I'm not going to spiel out that long email but between the three of them, you can connect with me. And, and I think that for those that are looking to do some of the work that I do, again, know that it's not easy, but, but, but make your connections, network, fellowship within the community, um, get with your local organizations. We got the NAACP. We've got, we've got, of course, the county, which are your schools in the cities. Those are all connections that you want to make. Those are the people you want to have in your corner because they know the ins and outs and they, they're, they're going to be your wings to lift you up when you're down because they know. Like, I can go out right now. Miss Mary is the director here. I love her to death, Miss Mary Jones. And, and if I need anything, if there's grants out there, they, they direct me that way. Um, if there's an event coming up, that I could possibly set up a table and talk about my program. 
I want to be there. So you've got to do the legwork, but the outcome, like I said, is so rewarding that you, you know, you can't go wrong. You know, you're looking at a kid who's smiling, who's eager to get out there every Wednesday when you come, you know, the one kid goes, when are you coming again, coach Kim to the community boys and girls club? I'm like, I'm here every, and then he'll finish up Friday. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then he plays in my soccer program on Saturday, but you know, when you have, have that, I mean, you can't even sit and say, well, I should be having three more zeros at the end of my salary because it's priceless in itself. So, um, you know, again, network, fellowship, get in, get in where you fit in and, and just do your best because at the end of the day, you're helping someone else be the, do their best and be their best. And and just so happens I'm working with youth and, and that's what it's all about because they're our future. Well, it's one thing to have the knowledge, but you certainly have the passion. You have the energy. I've seen you work with these kids before. You do a great job and and certainly a great asset to this community. And and, and what a what a great story you have, uh, Kim. We, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. And, you know, your, your role right now as Coach Kim is, is a huge role in this community. As you said, it's very rewarding. And uh, we hope that you know that as well. And, again, we thank you for, for spending time with us here today. Thank you for having me. Well, my thanks to Kim Crabb for uh, doing this interview here today. Again, great story, uplifting story, such great work that she's doing in the community and uh, putting her soccer knowledge to work. But that passion, that energy, you see it in what she does with the kids in this community. And again, if you could help her out or want to, certainly go to those uh, contacts you mentioned, her phone number as well. Give her a call, look her up. Certainly you will not be disappointed by her story and what she could do for you and your community as well. We thank you for watching us again at 10 episodes in more great episodes to come. Continue to like, continue to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as we continue to bring you some great interviews, sports journeys from some outstanding people in the sports community. Thanks for joining us. This edition of In the Front Row. We'll see you next time.